Today, uh, I'm going to begin using a title that really was taken from a book that was written in 1981. It was a bestseller, written by a Jewish rabbi, Harold Kushner. It was entitled, When Bad Things Happen to Good People. He asked that age-old question, why do bad things happen to good people? And did a great job of sharing about the struggle that is a problem that we've had since day one. Why do bad things happen to good people? It's a question Jesus dealt with. And so I'm going to invite you to take your Bibles. We're going to look at it from a number of perspectives to John chapter 9, beginning with verse 1. We have been going through the entirety of the Gospel of John. It's been exciting to study every word of the Gospel. And we have seen Jesus' ongoing difficulty in trying to get his message across. We've talked about communication issues. We've talked about uh, conflict issues. And we see Jesus particularly struggling with the Jewish religious leaders. But today his questions come not from the Jewish religious leaders, but from the Jewish disciples who followed him. His own inner circle asked some very pointed questions. So I love this passage because it speaks to issues that we deal with in the 21st century. So look there with me at verses 1 through 25. It says, as he was passing by, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, questioned him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Good question. Neither this man nor his parents sinned, Jesus answered. This came about so that God's works might be displayed in him. We must do the works of him who sent me while it is day because night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. After he said these things, he spit on the ground. He made some mud from the saliva. He spread the mud on the eyes. He said, go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. And so he left, he washed, and he came back seeing his neighbors and those who formerly had seen him as a beggar said, Isn't this the man who sat begging? Some said, Well, he's the one. No others were saying, But he looks like him. He kept saying, I am the one. Therefore they asked him, Then how were your eyes opened? He answered, this man called Jesus made mud, spread it on my eyes, told me to go to Siloam and wash. So I went and I washed and I received my sight. Where is he, they asked. I don't know, he said. They brought the man who used to be blind to the Pharisees. The day that Jesus made the mud and opened the eyes was a Sabbath So again, the Pharisees asked him how he had received his sight. He put mud on my eyes. He told me, told him I washed and I can see. See, for some people, life is simple, you know. I just did what he told me to do. I just did what he told me to do. I don't understand it. Just doing what Jesus told me to do. Well, I washed and now I can see. 
Therefore, some of the Pharisees, verse 16, said, This man is not of God, for he doesn't keep the Sabbath. But others were saying, Well, how can a sinful man perform such signs? And there was a division among them. Again, they asked the blind man, What do you say about him since he opened your eyes? He's a prophet, he said. The Jews did not believe this about him, that he was blind and received sight until they summoned the parents of the one who had received his sight. They asked them, Is this your son? You say the one was born blind? How then does he now see? Verse 20. We know this is our son and that he was born blind. His parents answered. But we don't know how he sees, now sees, and we don't know who opened his eyes. Ask him. He's old enough. He's of age. Ask him. He will speak for himself. His parents had said these things because they were afraid of the Jews since the Jews had already agreed that if anyone confessed him, Jesus, as Messiah, he would be banned from the synagogue. This is why the parents said, he's of age, ask him. So a second time they summoned the man who had been blind and told him, give glory to God. We know this man, talking about Jesus, is a sinner. And I love verse 25. He answers in the most matter-of-fact kind of way that one can answer. Listen, whether or not he's a sinner, I don't know. One thing I do know, I was blind, but now I can see. I want you to just read those last couple of phrases out loud with me. One thing I do know, I was blind, and now I can see. Friends, that ought to be our testimony. It's my testimony. Once I was blind, but now I can see. What a testimony. He didn't really know what he was saying. He's just telling the truth. He was simple. He didn't understand how it happened. He didn't know much. If you had a question, ask him. I don't know. I just did what he told me. All I know is I was blind. And now I can see. Well, suffering provokes many questions. Suffering provokes many questions in every age. The case that we see here of this man born blind provokes some questions on the part of the disciples. Not As I've said, earlier Jesus' uh, repartee was between he and the Jewish leaders, but now it's between his own disciples and himself. Now Jesus, that man, He's born blind. Now, how did they know he was born blind? I don't know. But he was born blind. Okay, who sinned? Did he sin? Or did his parents sin? Because Jesus, we know somebody had to sin. For him to be suffering like this, somebody had to sin. You see, they thought that was a normal question. It was a Jewish mindset. It was a Gentile mindset. It was an ancient mindset. It is a current day mindset. They relegated suffering to the category of personal failure. I cannot tell you how this has been replic- this thought has been replicated all throughout history. I can tell you some. Job, our friend that we've been studying in Sunday school the last few weeks. Job's friends. Who were they? Eliphaz, Bildad, Zophar, and then the young one, 
Elihu, all of them came to him and said, Now, Job, son, you're hurting awful bad. You must have done something wrong. Now, we're your friends, Job. You can tell us. What did you do? Because no man suffers like you suffered unless you did something bad, bad, wrong. So tell us, Job, what did you do? Well, Jesus' own disciples believe that. We see it even in the 13th chapter. Don't turn there. We don't have time. I'll preach this some other day. But in Luke 13, first eight verses, Jesus asked point blank a question about some people that had suffered terribly. One group of people uh, where a tower had fell, fallen and 18 people were killed. Were they worse sinners than everybody else because they suffered thus? And then he gave another example. He said it not once but twice. No, I tell you. That's not why they suffered. So in this instance, the disciples yet again say, Now Jesus, who sinned, this man or his parents? Let me tell you, it is carried forth into modern day. I can't tell you the number of times as a pastor. I've had people say to me in a time of personal struggle, family turmoil, Whatever's going on, Pastor, what did I do wrong? Why is my family suffering? What did I do wrong? We still ask the question even today. It's taken other roles. Uh, we even can sometimes quote physics. To every action there is a... So you must have done something wrong. Or we just use... Uh, common colloquialisms, that's just an aphorism, a saying. Uh, what goes around? That's what a lot of people say. Or we just try to use a little bit of uh, Near Eastern philosophy called karma. You know, karma's going to get you. Because what goes around comes around. That's right, Jake. So people say these things because we still believe what the disciples believed even in Jesus' day. What have I done? You see, our society still looks at the hurting and seeks to place blame. Now we idolize those who are successful. Long ago, before some, some of you are young, you don't know this uh, series, but there was a series, a TV series called The Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous. Have you ever heard of a TV series, Lifestyles of the Poor and Unknown? No. no, you haven't, for a reason. Because nobody cares if you are a poor, unknown person. But we care about the lifestyles of the rich and famous. And this dweeby English guy would get on there and go to the yachts of all these people and blah, whatever, whatever, whatever. The question continues to rise forth. So in verse 2, they ask, who, who sinned, this man or his parents? Well, that's interesting. That's interesting because Jesus said, neither. Now, how they knew this man was born blind again, I do not know. But it's fascinating, isn't it, that they thought maybe he had sinned. Now, some Jewish Rabbis did teach that an a, a infant can sin in utero. Even before they're born, they can sin. Well, I don't hold to that belief, and probably you don't either. But who sinned? 
Did he sin? Or is he suffering because of mom and daddy's sin? Well, a lot of people still ask these same questions. And I just say to you, basically, questions about suffering are hard to answer. They're hard to answer. Sometimes the best answer is the one I give most. And I've told you on Wednesday nights, I can answer any question you have. But my answer might be, and probably will be, I don't know. I don't know. That often is the very best question that we answer that we can give to the question. You see, sometimes we know it's true. People can bring on their own suffering. People can bring on their suffering. I have, haven't you? Yes, I have, and I know you have. We try to live selfishly in a, a universe that ought to be lived in God's way. Generally, we can say, yeah, all suffering is caused by sin. In the final analysis, it's always caused by sin. My sin, your sin, or perhaps the fact that we live in a fallen world. In the final analysis, all physical problems are a result of our fall in Adam. Bad things do happen to good people because we live in a bad world. Now we have difficulty applying that to every case, we understand that. Like Job's friends, we're often quick to seek answers where there are no answers. But the, really, the only response should be to live by faith, to trust. As I've said to you over and over, and I'll say it over and over again, we don't always know why, but we do know who. We don't always know why, but we do know who loves us. And like that little Sebastian boy... We want them to know somebody loves you enough to die for you. We don't know why, but we know who. This poor man, he didn't know why he was healed. He just knew who healed him. Go ask him. He's the one that did it. He just told me to go wash. I washed. Now I can see. It was as simple as that. But friends, listen to me. There will come a day. Someone said, when you can get all your questions answered, but probably when that day comes and you stand before the Lord, most of those questions won't even matter anymore because you'll be so busy worshiping and fellowshipping and experiencing the love of God that is so more powerful than anything you even experienced here. You'll just say, well, I guess those questions were not really that important anyway. I believe that. Now, I've over the years... Uh, listed a bunch of things. I want to ask the Apostle Paul. I want to ask Peter. I want to ask Moses. I've got a lot of things I want to ask a lot of people. And maybe my questions will be answered, but maybe it just won't really matter when I'm standing in the presence of Jesus. Suffering provokes many questions, but second, suffering provides opportunities. Look at verse 3. Jesus said, listen, listen boys, it's not that he sinned or his parents sinned. This happened so that I might show the glory of God. It's amazing here. The disciples were stopped. I mean, he said, stop asking that question. I'm tired of it. This was done to receive, show that God's glory will be receiving credit here. He did not mean that God had deliberately caused this struggling, but he was showing that God's glory would be displayed in the removal of this blindness. In other words, it means that God overruled the disaster of this person's blindness so that when this child grew up, 
He might, by recovering his sight, see the glory of God in the face of Christ. Suffering provides opportunities. And in this instance, those opportunities were twofold. First of all, the opportunity so he could find God. Second, so they could share about the Lord. You heard about little Sebastian when he came to know the Lord. First thing he wanted to do was tell other people about Jesus. This man came to know who he was. He said he's a prophet, but he also, we know, begins to tell other people about him as well. It became an opportunity to testify And one of the greatest things we can ever do, the two great imperatives, I think, of the Christian life is to find him and then share him. To find him and then to share him. Don't you remember our study of the woman at the well in John chapter 4? One of the greatest texts of all. She found Christ. She immediately goes and tells people, you got to come take a look at this man. Told me everything I ever did. you got to come take a look at this man. Pointing to Christ. Suffering provides opportunities. And then third and last, suffering provides benefits. Not always negative, sometimes positive. But you see, suffering gives us a perspective of what's really important. Suffering gives us perspective of what's really important. You you reckon this man was worried about clothes or cash? He just wanted to see. Suffering can provide perspective. What really matters in this life is the stuff that we spend our time trying to accumulate. Not really. Not really. It's loving Jesus and sharing Jesus. That's what really matters in the end run, isn't it? This man got everything clarified for him. And that's why he could give that new perspective that we shared together in verse 25. All I know is once I was blind and now I see. He had a new perspective in life. I read a poem that I love and here's what it says. It gives us a new perspective, shows a new perspective. I asked God for strength that I might achieve. I was made weak that I might learn to humbly obey. I asked for help that I might do greater things. I was given infirmity that I might do better things. I asked for riches that I might be happy. I was given poverty that I might be wise. I asked for all things that I might enjoy life. I was given life that I might enjoy all things. I got nothing that I asked for but everything that I hoped for. And almost despite myself, my unspoken prayer uh, prayer was answered. I am among men most richly blessed. Amen. Whoever wrote that great poem. Suffering gives a perspective on what is important, but also suffering builds character. The trials of life have capacity for building and strengthening Wouldn't you be able to say the difficult times you've gone through have brought benefits to your life? Have taught you things you could never have learned outside those difficulties? Now our adversary, the evil one, the devil, Satan himself, he wants to make us bitter. When troubles come, some people just get bitter. I cannot tell you the number of believers that I have talked to over the years as I've gone out and particularly 
doing visitation to members who used to come but no longer do. Now, we don't have anybody like that at Pebble Creek, but other churches do. I'm being somewhat facetious. But you talk to them, and they'll often say, well, I got hurt, or somebody made me mad, or something happened with some deacon or preacher or something. And they become bitter, and they withdraw. That's a natural reaction, but it's not a mature reaction. We all understand the desire to withdraw, to run away, but it's not mature. You see, suffering is meant to build character. God wants us to engage. Satan wants us to withdraw. Satan wants us to become bitter and angry toward God and other people. God wants us to become more mature, more understanding, more compassionate. Jesus even said to Peter in Luke 22, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith will not fail. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. Isn't it great to know Jesus prays for us? I told you even now, what do you think Jesus is doing in heaven? He is sitting at the right hand of God the Father interceding for you and me. Lord, let's give that woman another chance. Let's give that man another chance. Oh God, isn't that wonderful? He prayed for Simon. Simon, I prayed that you will not fail, but that you will be strengthened. And when you have, what did he say? Strengthen your brothers. Listen to me, what I have learned in life, in my long life, that one of the greatest ways to come out of the pits of despair is to do something to help somebody else. But our nature says, you crawl into a hole so people can take care of you. God says, when you are down, that's the best time in the world to reach out and minister to somebody else, and that's the way you're going to be healed. Did it not say in the book of Job, and God turned the captivity of Job when he prayed for his friends. You see, suffering provides benefits. Martin Niemöller was a Lutheran pastor in Germany. And most of you have heard of his writings and his life. He, uh, at first, greeted with enthusiasm the rise of Hitler but quickly became aware something's not right here. And he and a number of other pastors, he was a Lutheran, not Baptist. Lutheran, he began to stand against the evils of Hitler. He was put in Dachau where he every day had to smell the burning flesh and hear the screams of people as uh, the Many, uh, six million Jews and almost ten million other persons were terribly, horribly uh, killed. Just awful. He escaped. He got out. And when asked how he could undergo that terrible, terrible suffering that he went through, he said, if God is dwelling in your life, you can stand far more than you think. And he came out and spoke for decades, died, I think, in 1984. Decades of what God can do if you'll only let God be in your life. See, suffering can provide benefits. 
Why do we suffer? Well, we live in a bad world, don't we? It's affected on every hand. But one thing we know, as the Bible said there in the middle part of that text, it's time to do the works of him who sent us. Night is coming, verse 4, and when no one can work, as long as I'm in the world, Jesus said, I'm the light of the world. So we need to be about the Father's business. Suffering is going to come. It's come in my life, some of my own doing, some not. It's going to come in your life. Some of your own doing, some not. It's going to come. And will we let it knock us down? Or will we be able to say, once I was blind, but now I see. Once I was blind, and I didn't see things clearly, but now I see. And I see clearly what life is all about. Pray with me. Father God, in Jesus' name, I thank you for your word. Thank you for speaking so powerfully through this text. Father God, we just ask in Jesus' name that you would speak to every heart here today. Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would do a work right now of salvation to those who need to come to faith in you. I pray a work, God, right now of growth for everyone here that we would grow stronger in you. We would not fall to the devil's schemes, but we would follow you fully. I pray right now, Lord God, that you would help every suffering person in this place, men and women who are struggling, young people who are struggling, boys and girls, Lord, who are even struggling in their little ways. But God, I pray that you would be very near and dear to every heart of every person in this place this morning. Do what only you can do in ministry and love and comfort. God, I thank you for the honesty of this man in this text. I thank you that no one could get him down, but he continued to tell the truth about who had set him free. And I thank you for the testimony that he shared, even though he didn't understand how great it was. And God, may we be able to say, when we leave this place, once I was blind, but now I see. Once I was blind, but now I see. And if anyone asks for the reason for the hope that is in us, we can say, once I was blind, but now I see. Lord, thank you for doing that for us and for me. And we ask this prayer in Jesus' precious name. Amen.